All right, how's everybody? Okay? Everybody awake on the front row? Huh? <laughs> oh, me. The, the uh, youth had a lock-in Friday night, and I don't envy them a lick, okay? Uh, not one lick, and, and if y'all fall asleep, I will throw this bottle at you or throw some water on you, okay? So, so just get ready for that. Uh, uh, I remember uh, my first lock-in uh, about 35, 36 years ago. In fact, it was my wife and I's third date. You know, I figured, hey, if she can stand me through that, she can stand anything, right? And uh, we were out in the real big city of Blue Ridge, North South Carolina, you know, real metropolis area there. And uh, uh, we'd had these certain things that they were going to do on the lock-in, and one of the first things that the boys wanted to do was take me cow-tipping. We were going to do pictures of the, us going cow-tipping. And, uh, well, that didn't work too well because the bull got after me, and I got stuck on the barbed wire fence, and I thought I was going to be bull-tipped. You know what I mean? And... Uh, and then when we get back to the church, a group of the boys come running in, and they're like, man, that was the greatest time I've ever had. And I'm like, hey, that's great. What would y'all do? Well, we ran over two dogs and three mailboxes. I'm like, what? There was this guy named Daryl that was a logger, and he had a, a Rambler station wagon and had put this big metal bumper on it. I mean, it was just two or three inches thick, wrapped around it, and they had literally done exactly what them boys said. I said, Daryl, what were you thinking? You know that song, what was I thinking? He said, I thought they'd love it, man. I loved it. I'm like, well, okay, been here about three months. I guess this job is fixing to be history. You know what I'm talking about? But uh, we did survive through it. But, uh, hey, I'm sure you guys had a great time uh, Friday night and appreciate what you guys do with those students and the way you pour your lives into them and, and what God has been doing there. Uh, hey, have you noticed how many renovations have been going on? Everybody's renovating something, right? Everybody's restoring something. I mean, home improvement stores are packed, right? There was a post I saw on a church's website that I thought was so great. It said, to all its members, since 300 people can be at Home Depot, we're going to hold our service in plumbing this Sunday. I thought, that, I thought that was really good, the way they put that. But have you noticed all the shows, you know, Flip or Flop, you know, Love It or List It, you know, Flip This House, This Old House, you know, Fixer Upper, The Property Brothers, all about, you know, remodeling, all about restoration. But you know something more exciting than, than, than a home being restored is seeing a life restored. Seeing what happens, the restoration that comes through Jesus Christ. And we've all been there, haven't we? And maybe some of you this morning, you're in need of that restoration. You're in need of that repair. Well, listen to me. I believe God has that for you today. It's available to every single one of us, no matter what in the world you're going through. Maybe you're here today and, and you have never met Jesus Christ. Listen, that is going to be available to you today. Jesus can totally restore you no matter where you are at because Jesus is the author of restoration. He is the author of restoration. Now, last week, we, we began talking about private conversations. And, and, and we saw in that passage of Scripture that Jesus had a private conversation uh, with Satan. And he had a private conversation with Peter and the disciples. And, and there were some people who came up to me and said, I never, after the service last week, I never realized that Jesus had a private conversation with Satan. Yeah, he did. And then we said that Jesus has private conversations with the Father for us. He intercedes for us. 
And so we looked at some of those private conversations. And basically, we said that, you know, Jesus had a private conversation with, with Peter and, and told him that you're going to be sifted. And then he predicted, he said, you're going to deny me. And basically, that's exactly what happened. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times. And if, you, if you'll notice, that, that's the process there. That's what happens a lot of times in our life. So, so I just want to review just a second for last week. And this was the main scripture here. And uh, Simon, Simon, in Luke chapter 22, 31 through 32, look what it says. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. That's a process to get the impurities out of the wheat, okay? But I have pleaded for you in prayer. In other words, Jesus intercedes for us. So, Simon, that your faith would not fail, so that when you have repented, okay, and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And then we looked at this passage of Scripture to break it down so that we could really understand what it was saying to us. And basically, here's what it is. This is the actual, I think, word translation of what Jesus was saying. Simon, I'm praying for you that your divine persuasion, if you look at the word there, that's what it means. That's what faith is. That's the, the translation of it. Pray that your divine persuasion, your faith, does not fall into an eclipse. That's what he was saying. When we use the word fail, it, it comes from that word, the root word to mean eclipse, which means to fade away. And, and so Jesus was saying, I am praying for you that your, your faith will not fade away. Okay? And, and as we said, Jesus predicted his denial, and it happened, Peter's denial of him, and it happened just like Jesus said. Well, today, we're going to look at some more private conversations. But these conversations are by the seashore. You see, Peter, in a sense, as we look at him, as we saw here in this passage of Scripture, and, and we saw some things that, that Peter had done before this moment, Peter was this loud, self-righteous guy. Would you agree about that? You know, there's some people that are just loud and in their self-righteousness. You know, it kind of reminds me, you know, the guy that goes and prays in a restaurant and he's so loud that everybody bows their head. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Or, you know, you, you go in there and he prays so long that your food gets cold. I was actually eating one time with some friends and, and uh, this guy, I thought the dude was never going to be quiet, you know? And one of the friends, you know, you know how you, you, you're just honest with your friends. And one of the guys with us says, man, you know, I thought you was going to bless the food. I didn't know you was going to catch up on your prayer life, you know. So that's sometimes, <clears throat> that's exactly, you know, what kind of, that's, that's kind of how Peter was, okay, pre the denial, all right. He, he's this confident guy. He, he's capable. He's very brash, okay. He's outspoken, he a lot of times opens his mouth before he thinks, okay? But what happens here, guys? He comes face to face with his failure. Jesus has a way of doing that, doesn't he? Of pressing us, of crushing us to create that new wine. Because he's denied Jesus three times, and his self-assurance has caught up with him. In other words, he is denied in, 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 you know, his best friend, a, a guy that he even thought he would die for. But all of a sudden, the sound of the rooster changed everything, didn't it? Every time he hears the rooster crow, can you imagine what happens every time he hears that? You imagine what flashes in his mind? He sees the faith of Jesus looking at him. He, he may smell the fire burning, and it seems like that he can't get past it. Are any of you there today? There's something that's happened to you and you just can't get past it. 
it just seems to, to, to cause you to get stuck? I think we've all been there. Here's the question I want to ask you as, as we dive into this message. When did the rooster crow in your life? When did you come to a realization to where you really are spiritually? You remember where you were? I remember some times in my life. I remember exactly where I was. I remember the feeling that I'd let Jesus down, that I'd let myself down, that I'd let others down. So what happens? What does, what does Peter do? As we look in John chapter 21, beginning with verse 3, I think what we do is we see exactly what we do. You know, we, we, we're exactly, exactly like Peter. Look at what he says here. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. What do the other disciples say? Well, we're going to come too. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. They go to the Sea of Galilee. It, it, it's, a, it's a place where they had first met Jesus or, or where Peter had met Jesus, a, a place they were very familiar with. They'd been on it a lot. It's 13 miles wide and 7 feet long. And, and you know, they, they, they remember this place because of what happened after they met Jesus there. And they're in the boat, and I think they're having some private conversations. Do you? I don't think they were just talking about themselves. I think there were maybe some private conversations about what was going on in their life because I think they were confused. They were disenfranchised. They, they were depressed. They were unemployed to some extent. And basically, they were having a spiritual pandemic, right? Because their leader was gone. We can relate, can't we? They fish all night and catch nothing. Have you ever done that? Hmm? I have. I, that's kind of a lot of my pattern. My wife always beats me in fishing. Makes me sick. She loves to fish. But these were professional fishermen. They weren't just out, you know, casually. They had fished in, in this sea many, many times. Okay? So Peter had blown it. So what does he do? He goes back to his comfort zone, doesn't he? He throws in the towel, and he heads back to the old Simon, the Simon before his encounter with Jesus, because this was his comfort zone. And, and when we look at this, he says, I'm going fishing. If you study that, it's more than just I'm going to go fishing. Basically, what he's saying here is I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to what I used to do. That's really what happens there, okay? That, that's what he was saying. I'm going back to who I used to be pre-Jesus because I'm not too good at this because I have really blown it. In fact, I've blown a major assignment. God probably can't ever use me again. You see, that's what we do. We go back to drinking excessively. We go back to destructive relationships that we used to be in. We know there's something harmful in our life, but we, we go back to it. We maybe go back to those old friends because we just feel like, well, maybe they'll accept me. For some, it's we go back to working all the time because that numbs the pain. It occupies our mind. So the question is, what have you gone back to? You see, we don't want to deal with who 
we really are. The disciples are fishing. They're led by Captain Simon, and that's their comfort zone, isn't it? That's their environment. But they've caught nothing. Are you there this morning? Have you gone back to where you used to be and you realize there's nothing there? It's just a big old void. Let's look at this passage of Scripture, though, in, in, in John chapter 21, and I think we may can see some things here that can help us. So these guys have fished all night. It seems like they're, they're about 100 yards from shore. And what happens? There's someone on shore, and he calls out to them, and he says, Fellas, have you caught any fish? Now, I don't know if we have any fishermen in the house tonight, okay, this morning. But the, there's one thing worse than not catching fish is when somebody asks you if you caught anything, okay? <laughs> and you have to lie, you know, or, or just be real honest, like, no, it ain't been a, it ain't been a good day. <clears throat> so they basically replied, no, no, we had not cost anything. Not a thing. And, and, and the actual translation of this is, is, you know, we just think, okay, so Jesus asked and they caught anything. It really, in today's words, it would be, how's it working out for you? How's, how's that fishing going? How's that old life happening? And then the stranger standing on the seashore, who we, you know, like I said, about 100 yards away, says, hey, why don't you throw the net on the other side? I mean, Okay, well, you know, it's maybe boats 10, 12 feet wide. What's the difference going to be to throw the net on the other side? You know, who's this guy think he is? We're fishermen. You know, hey, the weather's not right. The water temperature's wrong. You know, they're, they're you know, going all through all the stuff. But they said, hey, let's just do it and just shut this guy up, you know? So the Bible says they throw the net on the other side, and you know what happens. The, the net is full of fish. And then I love what the Scripture says here. John is who we're studying here in John chapter 21. You know, I guess if I wrote something in the Bible, I could say, you know, I'm the one that Jesus loved, but that's kind of what he says all the time, okay? Look what he says. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say this, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The Bible says that the other disciples stayed there and, and they pulled the net in. And then basically, look what the rest of it says there. When they had gotten ashore, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. I want you, I want you to activate your senses here. I want you to activate your sense of smell. Okay, activate your sense of touch. You're at the beach, you're at the seashore. Activate your hearing. It's the voice of the one you saw crucified, but now he, he's there with you and he's risen again and he's there in the flesh. This is the third time we think that Jesus appeared to them, okay? None of the disciples dared to say, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Then Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. So th this, was, this was a powerful, powerful thing. I, if, you, if I could have time to read some more of the scripture before this, it says that John is so specific, he tells exactly how many fish were caught, 153. Guys, it's several thousand years since that, and we know how many fish these guys caught. 
It's the power of the Word of God, the power of the transmission of the Word of God. So what does Jesus do here, okay? What does Jesus do for these ashamed, discouraged, confused, wayward followers? Well, the first thing he does is he shows up and they've got the catch of their life. Never caught so many fish. But here's the thing I like that he does. He shows up and he cooks some breakfast on the beach. Fresh fish and hot bread. I'm not sure it gets any better than that right there. The chef Jesus. Can you sense it? Here for the guys that have betrayed him, Jesus cooks for them. Jesus does something special for them. And you think about it, you've been out fishing all night long, right? And you smell this. And maybe for a moment it took their mind off what they had done. Maybe it took Peter's mind off what he had done. But if you notice there, these guys, Peter's not hugging himself anymore, okay? The rest of them are not having a hug-a-thon about who's the greatest. But Jesus is having a private conversation over breakfast. Then I want you to look at what happens. Jesus has a very intense private conversation with Peter. Let's look at that. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Now if that had been you, and a few weeks earlier you had denied the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, and basically, Jesus says to you and calls your name. What would be the first thought that comes through your mind? The rooster. The fire that's burning there reminded him of the fire that was burning when he denied Jesus, right? But notice what Jesus does. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time. wonder why Jesus asked him three times. Did it bring back something else? Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. If we look at this passage of Scripture, and we're going to dissect it in just a few minutes, but I think there's some things there for us to grab if you're here this morning and you really won't get serious about the restoration. You want to get serious about that next step in your spiritual life. I think we can see some things that Jesus wants to do for us. But here's the first thing I think we have to do. You've got to do what it takes to reconnect with Jesus. It's more than just prayer. It's more than just I feel like it. It's more than just, in a sense, I'm feeling guilty and ashamed. I want you to notice exactly, I think, what we see here. First thing is, I believe that Peter went back to where he first met Jesus in his mind. When, that, when he found out Jesus was on the seashore, 
I believe in Peter's mind, he reflected back to the first time he met Jesus, and Jesus said, come follow me. Can I challenge you to do something? Go back to when you met Jesus. Go back to that moment. The joy, the excitement, the change, the conversion. Because we have a tendency to forget that moment. And then here's the second thing that he did is he, he put a cloak over himself. I, I, there's probably some symbolism there. I've tried to study that, but it didn't, I, I just hadn't found it. But notice what he did next. He jumped out of the boat. He jumped out of the boat. Here's my question for you this morning. What is your boat? What is your boat that's keeping you from being restored? What are you hanging on to? What does getting out of the boat represent for you? As I said in the first service, and I, I didn't have this in my notes, but there may be somebody here and you've been abused mentally, sexually. And that's your boat. It's not your fault. You had nothing to do with it. I believe there's somebody here that Jesus is challenging you to step out of that boat. Is that what it represents for you? There's other things for others of you that it represents. But I really believe before that restoration can totally take effect, you've got to step out of the boat and let Jesus help you with that or somebody else help you with that. Reconnect, swim to him, smell the breakfast. Smell that restoration that he wants to bring in your life. What does that boat represent for you? You see, I think back to different things that it represented for me. What does it represent for you? And here's the second thing I want to challenge you with, and it's, it's not easy, but be honest about your relationship with Jesus. Be honest about it. Because we're not going to fool him, okay? We don't say something and then he gets surprised like, he, you know, I can't believe so-and-so did that. He wasn't surprised by what Peter did. He predicted it. He's not surprised by what we do. But, but what happens in this passage of Scripture, we see that Peter was honest with Jesus. Well, you say, well, pastor, how do you get that? If you just read this passage of Scripture as it is written in the English language, you won't understand that. But if you look at it as it was written in the biblical language, you'll begin to see the power of this passage of Scripture. Now, how many of you, you know, basically when you use the word love, in the English language, it can just be for anything, okay? You can love Krispy Kreme donuts, you can love dogs, you can love cats, you can hate cats. But the word love can be you can love your wife, you can love your job. You understand what I'm saying? You know, you love your wife and Krispy Kreme donuts. Maybe they're both sweet, but I don't think you love them the same way, okay? That's how we read Scripture, right? But guys, that's not how it is written, okay? And the first time when Jesus said, he basically asked, asked uh, Peter, do you love me more than these, right? That's what he said. Does Peter answer his question? No. 
He didn't say anything. He says, Lord, you know I love you. He avoided the question. And the second time he asked him, he says, Peter, or Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Okay, that's why I've got this word there. In other words, he used a different word in the biblical language. It's the word agape, all right, which means an unconditional love, a, a pure selfless love. In other words, Jesus was saying, Simon Peter, do you have an unconditional selfless love for me? And Peter responded using the word phileo, okay? It's the word where we get Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. He responded by saying, Jesus, you know I have a fond affection of you. Do you see the difference? He said, Jesus, you know I don't love you like that by using that word. But I do have a fond affection. I have a deep friendship with you. Okay? In other words, he, he's saying to you, I cannot commit to the level that you're asking. I'm drawn to you. I'm fond of you. Jesus, I would jump out of the water for you. But I can't commit to that. Then the third time, notice what happens here. The third time, Jesus rephrases the questions if, if you study this. And it says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Jesus doesn't use the word agape anymore. He uses the same word that Peter's using. In other words, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, are you fond of me? Do you have a fond affection of me? And what does is, what is Simon Peter said? He says, Jesus, you know all about me. You know my quick temper. You know my insecurity that I use and cover up with my self-confidence. You know I act before I think. You know I can be selfish. But Jesus, you know I can't hide anything from you. I have learned that. And then he says, Jesus, you know I have a fond affection for you. What does Jesus do? He doesn't berate him for that, does he? He doesn't say, you've let me down. You see, we do that. We do that to ourselves. We belittle other people. We, we, we shame them when we raise the bar because we want to be up here. But Peter had learned that that's not where it's at. And then the last thing that I think that we need to do after we're honest with God and after we, we do whatever it takes to reconnect with Him, here's what I think Jesus tells us to do is find our sheep. Find our sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, feed my sheep. First of all, Jesus said, feed my lambs. The word there, lamb, is not just mean a baby sheep, okay? It really means someone that may be new to the faith or someone who is struggling, okay? Then he says, take care of my sheep. That's the shepherd, all right? And then when he says, feed my sheep, it's really what Jesus is saying there is build my church. It is the commission for the church. That's really what it is. Okay? It's the mission. The powerful mission. I was reading this week about a guy by the name of Brian Head Welch. Anybody know who he is? Some of the first 
service knew who the guy was. He's the lead guitarist for Corn, a very ungodly band. And this guy, who they call Head, had everything that a lot of people would think you could want. And then one day he heard his six-year-old daughter singing the words of a song that they sang over and over and over again. His six-year-old daughter was singing, All day I dream about sex. And all of a sudden the rooster crowed. And he realized the most precious thing in my life, look what I have done to her. And then he sought somebody that he knew that he thought may could help him. It was a guy that knew Jesus. And the, he went to him and he, the guy said, man, I'm not real good at this. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I'll tell you what I know. And to make a really long story short, he, he opened his heart to Jesus. And, and, uh, took a, and his life didn't change. Because he had spent many years pouring into that old lifestyle. But he knew there was something different. And just like Peter, he, he had followed Jesus and he'd fall back. He'd follow Jesus and he'd fall back. And, and, and he said something in the, the, the story I was reading about him. He says, following Jesus puts you on a path, not a destination. <clears throat> he said, it took eight years for Jesus to do in me, to press me, to crush me, to get me where I wanted to go. In fact, he said this. He said, God allows things in your life to feel like it is crushing you because it squeezes out all the impurities. And then he said, I realized God had not abandoned me. God had remade me. And after a number of years away from the band, he went back to the band Corn because he said there were some sheep there that God wanted him to feed. And he said a lot of their songs express the anger and the pain that many people feel. And some of the guys in the first service told me that he led the bass guitarist to Jesus. Guys, it's a path. Don't get off the path. Just because you mess up, it's still a path. The destination's heaven. But the path is here on earth. And sometimes that path gets, gets crowded. That path gets weary. That path goes in a different direction. But, but get, let Jesus get you back on path. At the end of this passage of Scripture... Jesus said to Peter, follow me. He didn't say, Peter, you can't serve me till you have that agape type love for me. But he said, Peter, I know you're fond of me and you've got a fond affection for me. And I can work with that. Because you see, guys, it's more about his love than our love. It's his love that will bring you through what you're going through. It's His love that will keep you on the path. It's His love that will lead you to feed the sheep. Because I believe that's what the Scripture says. He says to Peter, feed my sheep, build my church, do what I created you to do. Here's an application I don't want you to miss. 
service is always a part of restoration. With each of Peter's responses, Jesus gives him a task to do. Okay? Service. If you want to really experience restoration in your life, I encourage you to read the scripture. I challenge you to do that. But if that is all you do, and you don't find a place to connect and serve, you will majorly struggle. Because I believe that's what the scripture says. We're made to serve. God works through you. His Holy Spirit works through you as you serve. Pastor Ron has shared last week that, that they're, they're starting a, a, a course, I think, maybe even today or next couple days. He'll explain it to you. If you don't know what your gift is or how you can serve, let me tell you something. Go to that class and you can discover that. Okay? I can tell you where you can serve and how you can find out where to feed sheep. What do you like doing? Whatever you like doing, I guarantee you there's a sheep right there ready to feed. And maybe that class can help define that for you. I want to encourage you to do that. I remember a number of years ago, uh, we started a church. And uh, it, it was near this little store. It, the, the lady that ran the store was Mabel. You remember Mabel, Kim? And uh, I would go over there a lot, maybe eat breakfast or eat a hamburger. They had the best hamburger, you know, homemade, just good old hamburgers. You know? And uh, a lot of times I'd go over there. And there was this guy that'd come in all the time named Mike. And Mike would always come in and buy him a quart of beer, the, the big old brown bottle. I don't even remember what it was. And every morning he'd come in, and, and you could smell it when he came in, okay? And I began just to build a relationship with Mike. We'd talk, and I'd invite him to church, let him know that God loved him, and he was special. I went over there one Saturday morning after I was studying at the church, and Mabel said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? She said, Mike's coming to your church tomorrow. I was like, are you serious? She said, yeah, he came in here wanting to borrow some money. I thought it was to buy some more beer, but he said he wanted to get a haircut. And he came back and he got a haircut. And I said, well, he didn't need a haircut to come to our church. And she said, well, it wasn't about cutting it. It was just a mess. And he came. He came several Sundays. He'd show up at the diner buy that quart of beer and still smell and I was confused and then it hit me Jesus said to me I just called you to feed my sheep to love my sheep and just because you feed them and love them doesn't mean they're going to change and that rocked my world I think that's what we think sometimes it's all about loving people through the power of Jesus Christ to this day I, I don't know if Mike ever changed I wish I could say I knew that he came to know Jesus maybe he did because all I can do is plant a seed and let somebody else water it where are you feeding sheep Who are the sheep that you come across every single day of your life? Because if you will feed sheep out there, you'll get the opportunity to shepherd sheep in here. Okay? 
If you don't feed them out there, they're probably not going to come in here because they want to know what's in here before they get in here. Okay? And I want to challenge every single one of you, find your sheep. Find it. Ask God to show you what it is. Those of you that are students here today, you can find as much sheep at the school you're at than anywhere in the world. And you probably feel like, well, Stephen, I'm not this. You know what Jesus said? If you have a fond affection with him, you can feed some sheep. I want to encourage you to do that. I just want to encourage you to do what God wants you to do. As Brian sings this last song, I'm going to ask you just to maybe sit down through the first verse. Okay? I just want you to sit down through the first verse and, and listen to the words of this song. Let God speak to you through this song. And then as he sings that second verse, you stand up when you want to. But I just want you to focus on, on, on how, how, what God is saying. And I want you to ask God to show you what your boat is and show you who your sheep are. If you need to come to this altar and pray and talk to God, if you need to talk to me, I'd be glad to, to do that, I'm, I'm sure. Joe will talk to you. But I just, I just want to pray that maybe God will continue to work in your life and that you'll walk out of here a new wine person. Heavenly Father, we're, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful that you have loved us and shed your grace on us and God, you accept our fond affection and our impurities, that you press us and you shape us. But God, you have sheep for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will seek those sheep. I pray that you will reveal those sheep to us. And God, for that person here that just needs to jump out of that boat, Father, they just may need to just jump out of that seat and run down here to this altar. Whatever, Father you continue to move in this service. In your holy and powerful name I pray.